Hey, you are not going to want to miss this upcoming episode. We're going to be discussing the differences between the Roman Catholic view of Jesus' Mother Mary and the Protestant view of Jesus' Mother Mary. You're not going to want to miss this episode. This is Christ, Culture, and Coffee, a podcast designed to help equip Christians to be able to defend their faith and be confident in their faith. Hi, welcome to Christ, Culture, and Coffee. I'm your host, Robbie Lashua, and I'm here with my co-host, Tyler Hurley. How's it going, Tyler? It is going great. We are super excited to be back with you guys because this is our final episode for our Roman Catholicism series. Yeah, it's been fun diving into some of these topics, and um, I've known a lot about some of them, but I haven't known very much about some of them as well. You know, I would so say... It's, it's kind of cool to yeah, talk about. Yeah, because that's the thing. Uh, this may come to a shock to maybe some of you, but we don't actually know all this stuff beforehand we, sure. we we take the time take time to study it, it yeah and study and, it yep. and uh but it's been good it's a great experience because uh we get to learn more and grow uh through the knowledge we kind of possess throughout this uh kind of topic that we've been discussing it's been a lot of fun well and that and, that's an important point tyler is yeah i think that as apologists uh or, or people who want to be equipped to evangelize to culture yeah there's sometimes this pressure like, you got to know everything. Oh, yeah. Like, you better have every argument memorized, and you better be ready to go at all times. Yeah, because that's such a Because you always point. have to be prepared for anybody who asks. <laughs> and it's like, man, how can any human being remember every argument for no, every religion or every false? You can't. But here's what we do, and this is just a quick tip. Yeah. If, if somebody comes up to you, and they ask you a question, and they ask you your view on something, and you don't know it, what you need to do, and look at me when I say this, this is what you have got to do. You look at them and you say three words. I don't know. What? I know it's crazy. No. <laughs> you just say I But they don't can't know that, know. Robbie. No, they can know that. It's okay. None of us are omniscient, right? We don't <laughs> yeah, know right. everything. It's okay to say I don't know, but hey, let me look into that and then let's go grab a cup of coffee yeah. next week and let's talk about it. That's a really good point. I don't know what I think about that. Mm -hmm. I don't know the Christian view on that. Let me look at it. And we're always in a, uh, we should always be in a posture yeah. of learning. Oh, whenever, of you get, whenever you get closed-minded or you're afraid of other ideas, that's not a healthy place to be uh, because we're seeking truth. We're not trying to reinforce our bias. Yes, yes. That's and so if you don't right. know something, you just say, I don't know. So as apologists, as Christians, as, as God's children, we should mm. always be open to learning new things and to studying and investigating truth. Yes, I think that's a great point, Robbie. Yeah. That was very well said. It just, uh, it's always important to kind of get over that idea of like, you have to know everything. And so uh, just that good, honest answer of saying, I don't know, yeah. getting back to them. I think it's great. Because the key is you're not trying to win that little argument. Oh, there. of course. So you don't have yeah. to like bluff them and think, oh, I've got it all together. They, right, they yeah. can't see any cracks in my armor. No, it's fine. You say, I'm going to check it out. Let's talk. Because you're not trying to win the argument. Mm -hmm. You're trying to win the person to Christ. Yes. That is right. the key. And so um, don't don't be ashamed to say, I don't know about that. Let's look into it. Let's be honest and truthful and humble and admit when we don't yeah, know that's stuff. that's good. That's good. And, and go look into it. So, well, hey, we would love it if you would follow us on our social media accounts. We're doing a lot of stuff on Instagram and on Facebook. And we also have an exclusive Christ Culture and Coffee Facebook group that you can ask to be a part of. Now, if you want to be part of this group, you have to go on iTunes and rate us or write a review for us on our Facebook page. Once you do that, we'll allow you into the group. And uh, we asked this group um, what they'd like us to do next on topics. We yeah. have some questions. Yeah. Articles are posted. We've put some exclusive podcasts in there that aren't available anywhere else. So if you'd like to be part of that really cool group of people, um, you need to go and rate us and then uh, ask to be a part of the group yes. on our Facebook page. But we would love that. Also, Subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you're watching us on YouTube right now, in the lower left-hand corner, there is a little red subscribe button. You can click that right now and subscribe to us. We would love for you to be aware of all the videos that we're doing and alerted when anything is coming out. So make sure you subscribe to us on YouTube. Yes, yes, absolutely. All right, Christ Culture Coffee. We start with coffee. That's right. Coffee tip. Tyler, you got the coffee tip for today. Yes. Now, this is an interesting tip. It's, it's not exactly... A tip in a case. It's more of food for thought, I should say. But it is about giving a coffee tip. Oh, okay. Not 
like the coffee tips we're talking about, like right now, uh, this is I'm talking about when you tip your barista mm. or broista, whoever it would be, you know, whatever <laughs> yeah. term you have out there, uh, whatever the kids are using nowadays. Well, who knows, man? Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> so I don't know. See how that works? I wow, don't know. Look at that. I know it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so so, anyways, uh, the, the question I want to propose to you at home who are listening or watching this is: Do you tip? your coffee barista. And if you tip them, do you do it out of guilt? And now what I mean by that is, uh, for example, like when you go to Starbucks, uh, they, they, I mean, all coffee places accept tips, including Starbucks, Mm -hmm. but they're more of like a fast food base kind of coffee. So it's kind of like you're in and out of there real quick. I mean, you go through the drive-thru. A lot of people just forget to tip or it's not on the front of your mind, you Mm -hmm. know, versus like a local ones, uh, like, Stuff on the west side we have here, like Dutch Bros, or yeah. the places like that where um, they have like the iPad, and they say, uh, hey, would you like to leave us a tip? And they hand it to you directly. Yeah. Now, the question is, do you like, do you press the tip button on there out of guilt and thinking like, uh, well, I need to tip because they asked me to? Or mm. do you do it because you t- tip? Because so it's you want like, to. Yeah, it's interesting because yeah, it's kind of dependent on where you are, I feel. Yeah, it, it is. And there's a lot of psychology in what they're doing with that iPad. Yeah, yeah. They're trying to get more tips, obviously. And so what they're doing is they're putting it right in front of your face and like, hey, look at me as a human being. I'm working yeah. here. I did something for you. You're not going to leave me a tip? And it's like, yeah, uh, <laughs> it, it does guilt you into it. And I'll be honest, like back when I used cash, all the time to buy mm. coffee, I was way more apt to leave a tip because oh, they'd, right. they'd hand me the change and stuff and then there was a bucket right there and dump it in. Yeah. yeah. So psychologically, like that was a great play on their part. But mm. now I don't use cash as much. I use my app or I use my yeah, card. Yeah, that's the way it is for most people. Yeah. yeah. And so when, when you use the card at these places with the iPads, you know, and they flip it over the clover <laughs> right. or whatever, yeah. hey, do you want to leave a tip, add tip? Um you feel like a jerk if you don't add yeah. something. You know, yeah, especially like, when uh... they have like different emojis for each one. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like one's like a little smiley face. <laughs> uh, the other one's like a like a thumbs up, but the last one's like a heart, and it's yeah. like the biggest tip. And you're, you're like, like, oh, that's what I want to. I want to leave the heart because I'm going to flip <laughs> this back over to them, and they're going to see I didn't care about them. You yeah, know? right. Because I this hate the first their thing family, see, and I yeah. hate everything there. But you know, that's how you feel. So yeah, 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 it is interesting how you can be guilted into leaving a tip, or right. to be honest, the opposite side of it is like how I just forget. Yeah, like, like at Starbucks, Starbucks, I just like, I just forget because it's not the cash in the bucket thing anymore. Yeah, yeah. so yeah, that's interesting. Um, what would you tip a barista for? Like, what's above and beyond service? Is it expected like a waiter or waitress, well, or is it like an addition? What do yeah, you think? Yeah, well, the, the strange thing with that is, I think, uh, I mean, coffee baristas and stuff they make the same amount as fast food people. Like, they're mm-hmm. not they're not paid like waiters and waitresses. Yeah, so it, they make a decent wage. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. people who are like your your waiter or waitress, like they live off of the tips. Mm-hmm. I mean, not exactly, but I mean like... No, but they, yeah, there is way more to that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Than, yeah. Because because that's the difference there is they don't, they're not dependent on the tips. Mm-hmm. It's just extra income. That's true. So I think in a sense you could like... I think for me, it depends on not necessarily like if they go above and beyond. Uh, I, I think for me, it depends on like uh, like my order of coffee and yeah. how much they had to do for me too on top of it. Okay. Like if I'm getting coffee for myself mm-hmm. and I feel like, I, you know, maybe I should leave a tip. I, I might do like a dollar or so. Like sure. uh, not much if I have like a $5 coffee. Well, that's a big percentage. Yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah. And that's a good. But then if you're doing like a like a massive order of like like five coffee five to eight coffees like for my family because sure. i have a bunch of siblings yeah then it's like then you okay better leave a good yeah tip, right yeah. it's like here you well, go you know what so, and there are times where i'm ordering like the carafes and they're bringing oh, sure. out all the creamers and i got bags of stuff right. and they'll carry it with you yeah then that's a little different yeah, you're like well thanks for helping me out you yeah know, so. it's an interesting to think through what's your methodology of tipping i think that right? that's a good yeah. way to put it what is your methodology of tipping and that that's more of your coffee thought is how do you coffee tip that's coffee it. thought for the day, coffee tip. I like yeah. it. Well, hey, let's get into the topic for today. So, yes. yeah, we are concluding our series on Roman Catholicism, the differences with that, and what we believe in, in Protestant theology. Um, and we're ending it with 
Jesus' mother, Mary. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. There's so many different views on Mary within the Catholic Church and the Protestant Church. Yeah. yeah Big time issues. Mm-hmm. And so we wanted to get into what are some of those, and then what are the apologetics for uh, the Protestant side? Like, what's the evidence against some of these Roman Catholic views on who Mary is? So there are a lot of things that the Catholic Church believes about Mary. Um Perpetual virginity, mm. right? Immaculate conception, the assumption of the Virgin Mary. These are the things that we want to hone in on today and discuss and seek out what does Scripture say about this? What can we know about this? And where do we think uh, the Catholic Church kind of got off base with oh, these yeah, things? Oh, yeah, yeah. So. And for those of you even like, for, for me personally, before I studied uh, their views on Mary in depth, uh, I always had the perception of that, like they just saw her as like this holy, holy person. Because ev- mm. I've been in cathedrals before and you see uh, sometimes they have like the art displayed, right? And you see yeah. like in the corners how they kind of walk you through the gospel. And oftentimes they have a statue of Mary and or at least like the stained glass. And you see that like oh, yeah. almost in every cathedral. So it's like Mary is a big deal in the Catholic Church. Yep. And, and these are the reasons why, yes. right? So let's start off with uh, sinlessness or her immaculate conception is what it's called. Mm. So the argument for... Mary's sinlessness or immaculate conception is basically that only a sinless vessel could give birth to a sinless savior. They're mm. saying that that Mary would have tainted Jesus uh, with sin unless she was sinless. Yes. So he couldn't have been sinless unless she was sinless is kind of the idea here. Mm. Um, now, is there evidence that Mary was sinless? Does scripture say that Mary was sinless? There is a passage, you know, in Luke when, when the angel comes to her and he says, you know, Mary, a blessed blessed one, highly That's favored right. of the Lord, right? So there is something obviously significant about her. Um, she was chosen for a very specific service to God. She did something amazing um, with, with who she was and with... I mean, gestating the savior of the world, God in flesh. Mm-hmm. This is a phenomenal. Nobody else has ever done this kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, right? yeah. I mean, that's pretty significant. It's and special. So, it's yeah, very special, yeah. right? But does it mean she was sinless? Mm. She never sinned in her entire life. That's the question that we want to look at. Now, where did this idea come from and um, who holds to it? Well, a couple of things are interesting about it. Um, the idea that Mary was supernaturally prevented from inheriting a sin nature, um, it, it wasn't a popular idea no. by yeah. the majority of the church early on. Like the Eastern Orthodox Church has never accepted that belief. Yeah, and not only that, even Thomas Aquinas, who was Catholic, who was Catholic, who was a Catholic theologian, many Catholic theologians in the Western Church, the Catholic yeah. Church, they did not accept this no. as real. The, the idea of immaculate conception or sinlessness was that at the moment Mary was conceived, um, she was supernaturally prevented from being tainted with sin. So they're yeah. saying from the very beginning of her being, God miraculously stopped and prevented sin nature from happening to her right? Mm-hmm. Therefore, she didn't have sin. Therefore, when Jesus was born of her, he wasn't infected with sin, and he was a new Adam. I was even reading how some yeah. people saw Jesus as the new Adam, and Romans 5 of course, equates that, Yeah, but then they also see Mary as the new Eve. Huh. I haven't it's kind seen of interesting. That. Yeah, okay. and, and way back, church fathers were sure, discussing sure. this kind of thing. Um, so that's that's the belief mm. in in this. Now, what's interesting, Tyler, is that this didn't become Catholic dogma. This didn't become the said doctrine right. of the Catholic Church until 1854. That's really recent. That's, yeah, that, that's very uh, late as far as uh, like early church yeah. teachings Now, go. there were people who yeah. believed it prior to this. So we're oh, not saying sure, that sure. the idea came up in but, the 1800s. But it was, it was like made as like a, an official doctrine by that point. Yes. Yes. That's when it was made an official dogma by Pope Pius IX in 1854 in his papal bull, the Ineffabilis Deus, um, which which 
pushed the immaculate conception of the Virgin Mary right. as Catholic dogma. Right. And well, and there's some problems though with this belief too with, that arises from that point that he's saying. Yeah. And 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 one of the main things is you got to think about if if Mary was supposed to be perfect and born perfect, then that that would imply that her parents would have been perfect. Well, well that's what you have to speculate, right? It is. You go, yeah. wait a second. So, how if Jesus couldn't have been infected by sin by having a sinless mom, how is it that Mary could have been prevented from being infected by I her know. mom and dad? It, it, yeah. Right? It, so do you push it back a generation and then say, <laughs> well, okay, but then her grandparents, this, the same story goes, right? You're just kicking the true. can down the road. And, You're not and dealing with it. not only that, what we discussed in earlier episodes, too, is uh, the Catholic teaching is that you're born with original sin until the point of baptism. Yes, yeah, and so so if Mary wasn't even baptized at that point, I mean, or yeah, because like, it's at her conception. Yeah, yep. exactly. And so it's like trying to think through, like, okay, where where does that wh- where's the point where she becomes sinless? Or if they're mm-hmm. saying she was born with it, that kind of goes back on old te- like other teachings. So well, yeah, and this this is where the it gets sticky because yeah. either you have to say that Mary's lineage wasn't sinful. Now, the problem with that is we have her genealogy listed in the Gospel of Luke, oh, yeah. and we have stories about a lot of those people and how they screwed things up. Yeah, Like right. David is an ancestor of hers, Yeah, and we have the sin of David, and we have the sin of Jacob, yeah. and the sin of all of these people. So that can't be the case. But then the real problem becomes, okay, so if that's not the case, that her heritage had to be from a sinless lineage, mm. then why couldn't God have immaculately conceived just Jesus? Why did she need to be sinless? If it's not about heredity, then why couldn't he have just done that miracle with Jesus? Yeah. And I don't, I don't know an answer to that. There's not a need for her to be sinless. Yeah. It's because I don't, I don't think there have been good, efficient, genuine answers, which again, we're going to keep breaking this down and discussing why, but yeah, uh, it just doesn't seem like like there's a real answer to that to no. why they w- God wouldn't have just had Jesus be born perfect and then mm-hmm. didn't need perfect parents because at one point you're right Robbie even if it wasn't Mary at one point in her parents lineage she had to have someone who was perfect yes born perfect and so it's like trying to figure out like what the answer is to that it's it doesn't seem like there is a sufficient one so. no there's not and so. Yeah. Yeah, so the question I've thought about a lot is why does Mary's mom not need to be sinless, but Jesus' mom did need to be sinless? Yeah, that's a great question. Right? Yeah. It, it is. It's it's interesting. No. So there's nothing taught in Scripture that Mary was sinless. Um, Hebrews really exalts Jesus higher oh, yeah. than everybody uh, in who he was and in his sinlessness and that he's higher than the angels and he's the great high priest. And So I don't see where this idea in Scripture comes from it seems like it's outside of scripture a veneration idea of mary and that she had to have been this perfect person in order to bring about the savior and i just Mm. think that that's a misconception yeah i would Uh, agree with that i think that that it's speculation it's not based on scripture so i don't think you have to have mary being sinless in order to have a sinless savior born unto her no i don't think so either and i i think it's actually clear that that's like the case throughout yeah. scripture so well now what what happened with this sinless idea mm. was because some people in the early church assumed she needed to be sinless mm. then um it it uh, grew into this idea that she also must have been perpetually a virgin yes that's correct and is based on this idea this uh, called asceticism and it's this idea that the the body and the the um, appetites of the flesh are bad, and mm. it's it's a it's a horrible doctrine. It's not biblical. No. Um, you remember in the beginning, God creates everything good. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And then not only that, like we, like that was kind of God's gift to Adam too, was like the the bondage of becoming one flesh in marriage. Yeah. And so it's yeah, like, sexuality is the it's the first blessing that, God gives us. He yeah. says, be fruitful and multiply. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's not a bad thing at all. No. And, and at the be- at the very beginning of everything, God made us human beings physical bodies and spiritual beings, right? Yes. We have a soul and we have a body. That's what we are. So there was this weird idea though that was was growing up uh, it was in Greek philosophy and pagan ideologies, but then it kind of bled into Christianity. This idea that um, spirit is good, body is bad. Right. And that's not true. Um, (laughs) Body tainted, for sure. 
sin nature oh, messed of course, up. Yeah. But that didn't just mess up our physical body, that no. messed up our spiritual life as well. Yeah. And so this idea of asceticism was that we don't indulge any desires of the flesh. Mm. And I think what scripture teaches is that we shouldn't indulge desires of the flesh in inappropriate ways. Yeah. Right? Uh, of course, uh, stuff that goes against God's plan that you're directly yeah. uh, falling away from, that's different, like when you're committing in sin. but Yeah, like gluttony, right? Yeah, yeah. Gluttony but... is a sin. What does that mean? Excessive eating. And honestly— Not I, eating. I, yeah. Yeah, not just eating. We can eat, but we can't overindulge of course. and eat. It's yeah, not good and for I you. think that that's kind of like in the same way. A lot of sin can be described as doing something in excess. Doing it in excess or doing it in a manner it wasn't intended to be done. Exactly. Yeah. And sex is, according to scripture, supposed to be exhibited between one man and one woman in a marriage for one lifetime. Yeah. That's where sex is supposed to take place. And anything outside of that isn't supposed to be done. Yes. But the ascetics, you see, they, they, they believed in this idea that body bad, spirit good, we need to get out of this body of flesh. Um, and so they thought that by having really strict fasting and yeah. no sexual activity at all, even within marriage, like you do not do that, that this would make you a holier person, which it doesn't. Right. Um, holiness is about doing things the way God intended for us to do them. So because of this assumption that Mary had to have been sinless and then this ascetic idea that was growing at the time, then it bled into this idea that, well, she must have been a perpetual virgin as well. And this oh, yeah. gets really, really problematic There's so when many you issues read with scripture. Yeah, so yeah. the doctrine yeah. of uh, the perpetual virgin uh, virginity of Mary developed uh, in the early church, and actually one of the mm. proponents of it was Jerome, who wrote the Latin Vulgate. Yes. We talked about that uh, last week yeah, that's when we were right. talking about the Apocrypha. Um, and he was an ascetic. Um, so he didn't indulge in any sexual activity, and he actually wrote this tract in 383 A.D. Mm. And in it, he explained that Joseph wasn't really like the husband of Mary in the sense where they were consummating their marriage, but it was more of an accommodation to propriety, yeah, to keep right. her safe and to keep things looking on the up and up. He also taught that the brothers of Jesus were actually Jesus' cousins, not his brothers, and that the virginity... Uh, that virginity is better than the married state. Right. Now, this is where it gets a little tricky. In Corinthians, Paul talks about how it's better to be single because you can do more ministry for the Lord. Mm. But I, I don't think he was talking about it's better not to have any sex at all. He said if you're burning in your desires, you need to get he married did say that, yeah. because burning your desires for sex and then exhibiting it outside of a marriage relationship, that's where sin is. Yeah, yeah. But if you want to be more effective in ministry and have more time for people, then you need to, um, not need to, but being single really helps. So I, I have a friend. Yeah. Um, uh, his name's Jimmy. He's like one of the greatest people I've ever met. Uh, he is a pastor at a church over in North Phoenix, and... Uh, he isn't married, and it's not because he doesn't want to be married. He just hasn't found the right sure, woman yet. Yeah. And he he is so in love with Jesus, and he's so in love with God's people. And I asked him one day, I said, Jimmy, what does a typical week look like for you? And he said, well, in a typical week, I, I disciple about 15 guys individually. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> and I thought, 15 oh. individually in a week? Oh, Holy man. cow. Like, if I can... If I can get together with two or three guys and mentor them, like that's max for yeah. me. That's my time cap. Because why? Because I gotta go home <laughs> and I have to I have to fix the toilets that break. Yeah. And I have to be attentive to my kids. Well, and I have to be attentive to my wife. Yeah. And, and that's good. That's not a bad thing. Oh, right. Thing well, that's all. the thing. That shocks me too, because I, I can't imagine what that'd be like for you. Because even for me, I don't even have kids. Yeah. I'm just married. And so for me alone, I'm like, when I hear 15, I'm like, yeah. Wow, that's that's but being wow. single, yeah. he does have more time to oh, dedicate to ministry. And that's what Paul was talking about. But Jerome got a little bit off here because he believed in asceticism. He believed body bad, yes. spirit good, and that's not a biblical concept at all. And it's no, gotten a not. lot of people off base. So we want to go through and we want to say, okay, let's talk about what does Scripture say about the perpetual virginity oh, yeah, of Mary? Yeah. What, what are the arguments here? And the, the first argument we want to talk about comes from Luke... 2, verse 7. Yeah. You want to read that? Yeah, of course. It, it, so this is just talking about the firstborn son. So it says, And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in clothes, 
and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Okay. Now, now the, the key word there, firstborn. Yeah, right? firstborn. It's kind of important because this is, this is the question we need to answer. Is this implying firstborn and then there were others? Yeah. Or is it not? Um, also, firstborn son is mentioned, not firstborn daughter. It doesn't say yes. firstborn child. It says firstborn son. That's true. So is this indicating that he was the firstborn and then there were more sons born or then there was a firstborn daughter That's born a great later, question. right? Mm-hmm. I think, yes. I think this is indicating that, especially when we look at the other evidence oh, yeah. in Scripture about Jesus having siblings. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the Catholic argument against this would be that this word can mean um, special and significant preeminent position in a family one. Okay. So it can mean like instead of firstborn, it could mean um, only or special. Which 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 it does sometimes in different okay. contexts. But but the, the main idea here is though, this still sets kind of a foundation as we're kind of going through scripture and you can see like it lines up with other ideas that he is the first. Yes, if this was yeah. the only argument we had Oh right, then of then course it'd be a little sketchy. Sure, sure. Then I'd be like, Okay, maybe there's there is a little bit of a gray area there. Yeah. But when you add it with the other evidence, it seems to be indicating firstborn right. son in the sense of, and then there were other sons. Yeah, yeah. Like we have in uh, Matthew chapter 1 through 24 through 25, it says, uh, And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife. But he kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and she called his name Jesus. Now, yeah. the significance of that is it's saying she was a bir- virgin until she gave birth to a son. That word until is really significant. That implies that she was no longer a vir- virgin. He did not keep her a virgin after she gave birth after to After she son. gave birth. Yeah, he. That's, that's what that would mean. I think that's kind of a plain reading of it, that he kept her. Now, the argument against it is that he kept her a virgin until and continuing on into forever. But it doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. It says he kept her a virgin until. Now, this is this is an argument that I think is interesting is if it meant he, he not only kept her a virgin up until she gave birth, but even continued on that for the rest of her life, why would it need to say <coughs> that he did it until she gave birth to a son? Mm. Why would it just say, yeah. he, and, and, and Joseph, for the entirety of her life, kept her a virgin? That's what it should have said. But, but that's not what it's saying. It's saying yeah. that he didn't consummate their marriage until after she'd given birth to Jesus, which implies that they consummated their marriage yeah. after um, Jesus had been born. Yeah, and I think that's a really good argument. Because uh, yep. uh, if she was a perpetual virgin, that means that that never happened. Yeah, so, and, and you get into a lot of weird things with that. Like... Um, mm. Marriage is a blessing, yeah. Right from the beginning, the two become one flesh. Right, um, we're blessed with the ability to create people in our image and likeness, people that yeah. are like us. That's such a cool thing. And for some reason, uh, the Catholic Church believes that Mary and Joseph weren't allowed to do what God created human beings to do. Yeah, and it's very interesting too. With uh, especially when you think of the fact that today, especially that the Roman Catholic Church teaches that marriage is considered a sacrament mm-hmm. within the church, and so if you're thinking, it's okay, a way you get grace. Yeah, right. Yeah. And now, now of course, like like they they have the argument for celibacy for church leaders. Yeah. But the thing is, is Mary and Joseph weren't leaders. They weren't bishops or pre- like priests, no. anything like that. They they were just normal people. Yeah. So and why so, wouldn't they be allowed to do yeah. the institution of marriage? What what every other Catholic is allowed to do, mm-hmm. correct? Like now, uh, and that's the question. Yeah. And and you're also making the argument not only think about this, not only did Mary have to be a virgin perpetually, but from the time Joseph took Mary as his wife, he was a virgin perpetually. Mm. He never engaged in sexual activity with his own wife. That's difficult to understand. Yeah. Right? That's that's a anyway. So so I I don't know. It seems like the text is saying that he kept her a virgin until she gave birth. Roman Catholics believe that marriage is a sacrament. It's sacred. It's this good thing. Sexual obligation comes with the two becoming one flesh. But for some reason, Mary and Joseph are negated from that um, uh, covenant in marriage. Right, yeah. Now, so there's two bad assumptions with this view. First, that 
a marriage relationship is not compatible with holy living, mm. which is just bizarre, right? Yeah, so, that's not so right. Molly, in order to be sinless, she couldn't have engaged in activity because for some reason being married and having sexual activity with your spouse is bad. Yeah. That's not true. Like, that's not biblical at all. So that's a horrible assumption. And the second assumption that I don't understand is that for some reason the ordinary rules of human life do not apply to Mary. Yeah, and that's still, like I said, like this doesn't make sense because they're not a lead, lead, church leadership. Mm-hmm. That's, they didn't swear a life of celibacy here or anything. Yep. They, they, they're supposed to be like you and me, like, like normal Christ-following like believers, basically. Yeah. And that's the idea. It, it, they should have the same freedoms and uh, in practice in their marriage yeah. as everyone else. Well, and think even to extrapolate it further. So yeah. the Apostle Paul talks about how husbands aren't to deny their wife Correct. sexual activity and wives aren't to deny their husbands. And he even goes on to say, hey, don't stay away from engaging in sex within marriage for mm-hmm. a long time uh, because you'll give the devil a foothold. So yeah. have if you want to have an appointed time to say, hey, let's fast from sexual activity in marriage for a time in order to pray, that's okay, yeah. but don't wait too long because you need to engage in that so you don't um, cause yourself to be tempted. Yeah, yeah, right. But that doesn't apply to Mary and Joseph. Oh. <laughs> See, that, that doesn't make sense to me. I don't yeah. understand how that, how that works. Everywhere mm. marriage is mentioned, uh, sexual activity within marriage is implied to yes. becoming one yes. flesh. This is an aspect of it. So that uh, verse in Matthew 1, 24 and 25, those verses really help, I think, where he says he kept her a virgin until mm. she gave birth. Yeah. Now, then on top of that, you've got all of these mentions in Scripture that Jesus had siblings. Yeah, and that's the fascinating <laughs> thing, right? I mean, we, we have the book of James, Yeah, which... which He's literally the, the brother of Jesus. Yeah, he's listed yeah. In, in multiple places as being the brother of Jesus. We also have the um, book of Jude. Jude is listed yeah. as being yeah. one of Jesus' brothers. We have all of these passages. Um, now, I want to I wanna mention, uh, we're going to mention them, but one of them is in 1 Corinthians 9, 5. Yes. Which mentions, uh, Paul says, the brothers of our Lord. All right? Yeah, right. The brothers of our Lord. It seems like a specific group of guys. Um, Bart Ehrman, who is uh, not a Christian, he is an agnostic, leaning atheist, um, New Testament professor, um, has written books. He has a great book called uh, Did Jesus Exist? Mm -hmm. And he's clearly, uh, the book argues for, yes, of course he existed. And he gives all these great evidences from manuscripts, New Testament manuscripts, additional non-Christian manuscripts. Like, it's a great book. But I want to read a quote from that about this passage, 1 Corinthians 9.5. This is Bart Ehrman, a non-Christian, talking about Jesus' brothers. And he says this, Paul does frequently use the term brothers in this metaphorical way when addressing the members of his congregation. But when he speaks of the brothers of the Lord in 1 Corinthians 9.5, he is differentiating them both from himself and from Cephas, that's Peter, Mm -hmm. That would make no sense if he meant the term loosely to mean believers in Jesus, since he and Cephas too would be in that broader category. And so he means something specific, not something general, about these missionaries. They are Jesus' actual brothers, who along with Cephas and Paul were engaged in missionary activities. Yeah, that's So Paul does, in places, call Christians brothers, brethren, right? But he's making a distinction here between these guys are literally the brothers of Jesus. And Bart Ehrman, phenomenal New Testament scholar, points that out and says, no, it's not cousins. It's not general brethren. It is brothers, same mom type guys. Yeah, so, so that would imply, obviously, they came from Mary. So that's that's the idea here, and it's and so to to think of the fact that Jesus was the only born son of Mary, mm-hmm. and she was a virgin her entire life. When we have actual, like tangible evidence of children, yeah, that proves that she was not a virgin the rest of her life. Mm-hmm. Uh, that really counters the idea of the Catholic teaching that she was a virgin. Yes, for well, her, the rest of her life. Here's the thing, though. This yeah. is what the Catholics would say. There's two. Right. There's two views on this. One of them is that the brothers mentioned are Joseph's 
children from a previous marriage prior to Mary, which would mean they're all older than Jesus, right? That would imply that, yeah. Okay, so that's one argument. The other is what Jerome said, that it doesn't mean brothers, it means cousins. It means mm. relatives, but not literal sibling, okay? Well, there's so many places in Scripture where it specifically says brothers. An- another place is Galatians 1.18, yeah. where Paul is talking about when he went up to Jerusalem, he says he met with Peter and John, and then he says, and James, the brother of our Lord. Yeah, that's right. So, so John and Peter aren't the brother of our Lord, but James is the brother of our Lord. Yeah, that's really specific. And yeah. so he, he's clarifying, yeah, if he's not referring to the rest of them as brother. No. Just one particular. So it's not in the Christian sense of, hey, we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. No, he's saying the, the biological brother specific. of our Lord. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so we have that in Paul's writings, right? right? Now, in Mark, which was the first gospel written, which is Peter's uh, account uh, as written by John Mark, uh, Peter's account says this, Mark 6.3, Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon, are not his sisters here with us? Mm. So this isn't Jesus' hometown, right, of Nazareth. Yeah. And the people are saying, we know this dude, we know his mom, and we know his brothers, and they name four brothers, and then he says, and sisters. Yeah. Okay, so this is interesting. A a couple of things here. Uh, Number one, if these were just Joseph's kids from a previous marriage, um, for some reason they still hung out in Nazareth when they were much older than Jesus, including the sisters being older than Jesus, right? Um, but it seems like Jesus, being a 30-year-old, he's kind of going out on his own to be a rabbi because that was the typical time you would do this. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I could be wrong on this, but how I read this, it seems like, it went, and, not, and are not his sisters here with us, like, meaning they're, they're, they're living here in town. They're yeah. still at home, in a sense. I don't get the sense that they're, uh, you know, way older than Jesus. If you had four brothers and sisters, you have at least— um, sisters is two. So you have at least yeah. six older siblings than Jesus, right? Yeah, and that's, that's, yeah, that's the case. And so it's, it's interesting to think that you, like how you can get around this idea mm-hmm. that he didn't have siblings. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty interesting to think about that. Yeah. Now let's, and again, mm. speculation. Oh, of course. Yeah. Let's say they were Joseph's kids from a previous marriage and there's six of them. Okay. Even accounting for, let's say two of them were twins. So okay. that would be five births, right? Yeah. Okay. So you you would think that, you know, there's maybe a year between each birth, right? Yeah. So we're, we're talking like a span of what? I mean, a year, uh, at least a year, so then there's the nine months accounted oh, of for. of course, yeah. But so you're talking like by the time Joseph marries Mary, he has five kids yeah. or, or, or six kids um, for Minimum. some reason, they don't, they're not mentioned as going to Bethlehem with them. Mm. That's an interesting aspect to it, right? Yeah. They're not mentioned anywhere. Um, and then uh, Mary was probably pretty young at the time. So now you're getting like Joseph's older kids are pretty close in age to Mary. Yeah. Which is kind of bizarre. That's what that would be. So Yeah. So I just, it doesn't match up. With, with what Scripture says. Mm. Now, uh, the idea that they're Jesus' relatives, they're like cousins, they're not brothers. Oh, yeah. This is an interesting um, <laughs> argument, and Jerome himself made this argument, and it's a bad argument. Yeah. And he is. should have known better because he spoke Greek. That, yeah, and that's the case. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, because the thing is, the Greek word used for brother literally means male sibling, son of the same mother. Yeah. Right? It, it, it's not like up for a vague, uh, some type of relative. You know, there is a word, yeah. um, when you remember when Mary goes to see Elizabeth in Luke? Yeah, yeah. It says that Mary went to see Elizabeth, her relative. Yeah, relative. that's right. It doesn't say cousin. It says relative. That's true. And so I looked at that word, and it, it's like... Um, a uh, kinswoman, uh, relative, uh, female relative, distant relative. Sure, kind of yeah. Um, that's not the word that's used of these guys with Jesus. Kin, mm. Kinsmen, right? Yeah. It's brother. It's the word adelphois, which, like you said, it means literal yes. uh, male sibling, son of the same mother. Now, there is another word used in Scripture 
for cousin, mm. right? So Adelphois is for brother, um, and then Anepsios is for cousin. Right. And Paul uses this word cousin in Colossians 4.10 when he talks about Barnabas's cousin, Mark. Yeah. So, so think about this, Tyler. Paul knows the word cousin. Would you agree? Of course. <laughs> Why <laughs> would you sense. agree with that? Yeah, because he wrote it. Because he uses it. Yeah, he so used it. He obviously knows that this word exists. There it is in Colossians 4.10. <laughs> but for yeah. some reason, he doesn't describe James yeah, as the cousin of Jesus. Mm. He uses the word Adelphois, brother. Why would he do that? Not just once. Thinking. He, he does it in Galatians. Mm, he, yeah. does it in, um, he does it in 1 Corinthians. Why would he do that? It's because he's his actual brother. I think words yeah. mean something, and I think it means, <laughs> I think brother means brother. You know, I think words mean something, too, so that's good. <laughs> Glad we're on the same page there. So, so okay, so, so the argument mm. that there's cousins, I think, just fails miserably when, oh, we, yeah. when we do good exegesis. Mm. I think the idea that Mary was kept a perpetual virgin as being married to Joseph is bad theology, I think it goes against what God intended for marriage to be. Yeah. Uh, and it's an argument from silence because there's nowhere that says that. There's actually a verse that implies until she gave birth, she was kept a virgin, mm. implying that afterwards she wasn't, right? Yeah, right. So I don't think any of this holds water. It's all based on the idea that if she was sinless and we believe in asceticism, she couldn't have mm. had sex because that's bad, which is not true. Right. Yeah, so sex done outside lot. of marriage is bad. Yeah, so there's like there's a lot to unpack in this, but but what's interesting, Robbie, is so far I'm finding that there there are very little arguments in favor of this idea. Yeah, well, there's not scriptural, there's no scriptural arguments in favor of this idea, yeah. and the, and the, but this is what's interesting, Tyler. Okay, let's pretend that it's proven that these guys were actually Jesus' cousins, not his brothers. It sure. can't be done, but let's just, for sake yeah, of argument. Right. So, okay, if they're just his cousins, and let's say that that word until does mean that he kept her a perpetual virgin even after she right. gave birth. And let's say firstborn son didn't mean firstborn son. It meant only special child, right? Okay. Even if all of those arguments are proven to be true, which they're not, it doesn't follow that a married woman who didn't have kids was a perpetual virgin. Yeah. Does that make sense? There's, there's no evidence of there's that. There's no place in Scripture that it states she was a perpetual virgin. The whole point yeah. of why it's significant that she was a, a virgin was because she gave birth to a child, and that typically doesn't happen. It was to mark yeah. this is a miraculous occurrence. Yes. That was the point of her being a virgin. Not that she was sinless. No. Yeah. Right? And so that's—I just—I don't— I don't see any scriptural evidence. Now, with the Catholic Church, tradition is such a big importance, right? It is, yeah. But we have to remember that these are um, ideas that were in the church and certain people believed throughout time, even though certain people had disagreed with, Yeah. but they didn't become dogma until much later in history. Yeah, and that's the other thing you got to remember, too. The early church fathers and people, theologians who were thinking these things through, they had good intentions, because the thing is, they weren't out to spread false truth or... spread lies in the Christian community or be heretical. They were just trying to to think through theology and try and figure out what scripture was saying. Yes. And so so the the early church fathers who came up with these ideas, they had good intentions in mind. However, it was not really accepted. No. As a, a wide idea. No, it wasn't. And a no. lot of prominent ones rejected it. Um, so I don't think that we need to accept that Mary was sinless, therefore mm. the immaculate conception is unnecessary. Yeah. I don't think that we need to accept that Mary was a perpetual virgin, um, because Scripture, I, it seems it's very clear that she had other kids. It seems very clear that... Um, that Joseph and her consummated their marriage after Jesus was born. Yeah. Um, all of these things. Uh, the, the last thing we do want to hit on, though, that, mm-hmm. that Catholics believe is what's called the Assumption of the Virgin Mary. And it's this belief that Mary didn't die, but she, or, or right when she died, there's conflicting beliefs, yeah. that she ascended to heaven much like Jesus. Right, yeah. Um, and so these come from um, uh, uh, texts, manuscripts that are non-canonical, um, uh, pseudepigraphal, later Gospels um, that are legendary accounts that Mary was taken into heaven. Yes. Now, this idea, the assumption of Mary, uh, this, this manuscript, the oldest one we have, comes from the 5th century, and it's just a fragment. 
Mm-hmm. So it's it's much later than the the gospel writers. It wasn't written by an associate of Jesus or, right, or an yeah. associate of an associate of Jesus. Um, but what I found interesting about this uh, Assumption of Mary manuscript was that it was considered heretical by the Catholic Church in the fifth century. It was, and and not not just the church in general, like like two popes. Yeah, it's actually. attributed. Yeah, the, there's this yeah. document, and it's called the Gal- Galatian Decree Yes, in the first century, and most people attribute it to Pope Damasus or uh, Pope Hormis- Hormisdas. Mm. I can't say that very well. Um, and so two popes deemed this a heretical text. However, this is the text that they derive this belief from. Yeah. Right. It's also mentioned um, this this assumption of Mary's mentioned in what's called the Discourse of John the Divine, which is a work written between the fifth and sixth centuries A.D. Yeah. So again, a much later Gnostic type um, pseudepigraphal, not written by John. He's he's dead by this point. Um, but these are the two places they get this story, this legend from. Um, but it didn't become again, Catholic dogma, until much, much later, yes. right? Yeah. How much later? <laughs> Way later. I mean, so this was 5th century. Yeah, this was written in the 5th century, considered heretical. Yes. And then that. comes along 1800s. what year? Yeah, 1900s, right? Ni- oh, sorry, 1900s. I mean, yeah. Sorry. yeah, 1950, exactly. 1950. So yeah. think about in ni- what's happened in 1950. Elvis Presley is starting to learn guitar, <laughs> yeah. and he's hanging out with all these. That's what's going on, right? <laughs> That's so late. Mm. So for most of church history, nobody believes this. Nobody concludes these are. And then it becomes dogma by Pope Pius uh, in 1950. Yeah, and that that becomes, like again, contradicting of Catholic teachings because they say that the Pope's word is— it can trump scripture. Like Mm -hmm. the the Pope is the final authority. Yeah. And so for two popes— to deny this this idea mm-hmm. initially, yeah, and then later uh, another pope comes back and says, "Oh, whatever." Then then does that really mean that the pope's word is infallible? Well, like it seems he... like the Catholic Church operates somewhat like the Mormon Church does, where the yeah. current pope, the current prophet, Can trumps trump the, old ones. the old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but that's the thing, and that that's where it becomes like really. In a sense, like it's becoming like other cults. Like, mm-hmm. and, and when you get in that idea, I'm not saying necessarily that the Catholic Church is a cult. Yeah. But I'm saying the idea of that you have a leader over this entire people group that can dictate what you believe and what you don't. Yeah. And even go back on words of previous church leaders. Like, that's kind of. It gets of, messy. It does get messy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, again, and that's why in our Should We Trust the Pope episode, we talked about yeah. all yeah. of the implications <laughs> that can come with, with there were really corrupt popes and there were i mean so there's just a there's a problem with this so for these reasons um i don't now i don't believe mary um answers my prayers no um i don't believe she was sinless or still is sinless i don't believe that she was a perpetual virgin Mm. but that doesn't mean she wasn't a significant person are you kidding me like god chose her to do something that no other human being was chosen to do Yes, honestly. She was prophesied about in Genesis 3. She, yeah. That the seed of the woman, right? I mean, this is, she's super significant. She she needs to be still, like, given recognition as one of the most, ins- like, crazy inspiring women in history. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like, for, for all that she was blessed with. Yep. And put, she was given the role of literally raising the son of God. Like, that's I know. a big deal. It's a huge Yeah, deal. and so we in no way... Don't uh, like like lack respect for the person of Mary. And who no, she we don't was. want to demean her. No, we don't. Yeah. Want, but we want to be accurate with what Scripture describes yes, her. Yes, and as she's being. not someone who should be looked at as a, a saint or someone who should be looked at as someone we should pray to. Yeah, or, she's or, not a saint in the sense that the, the Catholic yes. Church venerates people. She's Correct. a saint in the sense that we're saints. Yes, that yes, holy exactly. ones of God are p- people who believe in Jesus Christ. Yes, we are the saints. Right? Good clarification, yeah. Robbie. Thank you. But yep. yeah, so. That that's uh, that's kind of the idea here is that Mary is someone who should be held with high respect, but she should not be looked at. She shouldn't be as, venerated as a type of deity no. or, or a second class deity or she she isn't. She was mm. a human being who right. obeyed God and did phenomenal stuff, yes. just like other people in Scripture, yeah, yeah. right? 
But we don't need to make up folklore about her no. um, when she's described as being something yeah. completely different. Than right, right. Yep. So. And it doesn't mean we can't respect her while being accurate with who she was mm. in, in this life. So yeah. um, this has been a fun series. Yeah. Um, I like Honestly, it. like, yeah, that's a wrap because uh, that was our last bit of the to- topics that we have for Roman Catholicism. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, this series was kind of crazy, too. We had a, an extra episode than we usually do. Usually we do around yeah. four. This one was technically five, so it was like, it was really exciting. Um, and we got so much feedback from followers, from you guys, like yep. telling us like things that you wanted us to discuss and learn more about for yourselves. And like, we, we love that. So uh, again, if you have any further questions, uh, now that the series is complete, uh, feel free to send us messages on anything you need clarification for because mm-hmm. uh, we try our best to answer questions that come our way and uh, um, we would love to help you out in any way shape or form but again we just hope that this podcast uh, isn't an encouragement to you and that the stuff that you, we've discussed here uh, has helped you to grow in your faith and to feel more comfortable that you are believing in the right gospel and that you have good theology and that you're thinking critically about your faith because yep. Again, the goal of this podcast is for us to, uh, we want to equip Christians to be able to defend their faith and to be confident in their faith. And that is the goal of this series. Yep. And we really, again, we just hope that this has been encouraging to you and that um, you continued to grow and push yourself in your faith through this series. Yep. We want you to be ready to go out and to represent Jesus well. Yes. That's what we all need to be doing. And that means to be able to represent him well when you're talking with a Catholic friend, when you're talking with a Muslim friend, and atheist friend, an agnostic friend, a Mormon friend, whatever. We need to be able to represent him well, and we need to rightly divide the word, right? Yeah. And that's what this yeah. series has been about it was a very text-based. Yeah. yeah, Paul tells Timothy to rightly divide the word of truth, mm. uh, and that's what we need to do. Scripture is an authoritative source in our life because it's God's message to us. It's what yeah. he wants us to know. So, man, we should know it. And we should live by it, and we shouldn't get sidetracked with other things. We need to rightly, accurately divide what God's Word is saying. Mm. So, hey, thanks so much for listening to our podcast today. We'll be back next week. Uh, Hopefully you can join us. And again, subscribe, follow us, rate us. We would really appreciate you doing any of those things. And if you're watching on YouTube, uh, write some ideas down in the comments below. Tell us how this encouraged you. Uh, Tell us how this challenged you. Tell us how you totally disagree with us and you don't like it at all. We invite your feedback because we want to see truth and we want to know what's real. And um, if Catholicism's real, I want to become a Catholic. Yeah. If yeah. Islam's real, I want to become a Muslim. Uh, we want to follow truth where it leads, and we're not afraid to investigate things. So please yes. leave us your comments, leave us your thoughts. We'd love to dialogue with you uh, on uh, social media or on YouTube. But thank you so much for watching today, for listening today on Christ, Culture, and Coffee. And we will be back next week with a brand new episode. Thanks for listening to Christ, Culture, and Coffee. If you liked this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe to help us reach more people.